1: Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain Podcast. This is the podcast that believes that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host for today's show, Stefan Rolnick, and I'm joined by my colleague Stephanie Lloyd. How are you doing? I'm all right. And we're also lucky enough to be joined by Danny Stone M B E. It is the M, isn't it? It is. What yeah. does the M stand for? Member. Member. Member of the British Empire. Just just, just a regular member. <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, chief executive of the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust and secretary of the All Party Parliamentary Group Against Antisemitism. That's how you right. doing?
2: Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having
1: me on. Yeah, no worries at all. Well, let's just get started by um, taking the listeners through what the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust does and how that relates to the work in the All Party Parliamentary Group as well. Sure. Well, we're a charity. I'm the head of the charity, and the charity
2: exists to educate and inform politicians, policymakers. Uh, We want to try and educate about anti-Semitism to help people understand it and to try and help them create the frameworks to address anti-Semitism. And for as long as I've been involved, we've provided the secretariat to the all-party group. Which, as I presume many of your listeners will know, all party groups exist on everything from kind of beer to jazz to you know I mean cancer the environment. and uh, ours is on anti-Semitism. we've got a very big membership and we try and bring together events. we provide the motor for that all party group
1: uh, to do events and, and to try and educate MPs through that. You started by saying talking about education. I'm quite interested. Has it been surprising you know not out of malice but ignorance? Have uh, you been surprised by how much MPs know about anti-Semitism? Has that taken them on that journey? Are people more kind of more educated or less educated?
2: I, it's a real range. I mean some MPs will grow up as m- many people will do never meeting a Jew, not knowing a, not having a Jewish community in their patch. So you might think it's fair enough they don't understand anti-Semitism. I I think in general, there's kind of an expectation when people enter public life, that they have a a kind of a baseline of knowledge. And I've found that generally they've met that baseline, but it is amazing to me sometimes that I've had to kind of sit there and explain conspiracy theories to people, you know, well, actually it's not right that Israel is funding the compilation of dossiers to try and discredit particular individuals in particular cases or you know, just look at what you're saying here, and what if you swapped out the word Israel or Zionist for Jew? Um, that kind of thing kind of amazes me because, I, uh, you know, it's like an Occam's razor type type of pro. I would think you 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 do things on a simple level. You try and understand them. You try and look at them and work out is there a problem with what I'm saying here, or what the way in which I'm perceiving something? So having to go back to basics on conspiracy theories that that I've found kind of remarkable.
1: And I think before we dive into the detail of some of these things, just to start with you and how you came to this work and, you know, why, you know, for obvious, there's, I guess there's obvious reasons why this might be important, but for you personally,
2: I'm a, I'm a Jewish boy. And, um, I kind of was, when I was at university, I went away for my year before university. I came to university and it was just as, um, Israel and the Palestinians were getting into conflict again, uh, and, there was antisemitism on my campus and I saw it and I didn't like it and it sparked something in me. I was like, this isn't right. This isn't fair. I just want to kind of go around my, my kind of everyday life on campus. I want to join the, the wrestling society, or whatever it might be. And so I kind of, it inspired me and through then the union of Jewish students, I got active in student politics and, uh, and it went from
1: there really. I'm always interested to hear how uh people's jewish identities intersect with their politics because for me it's very much bound up But for different people sometimes it can be really separate i mean how much does is your jewish identity bound up in your politics or do you see them as kind of incidental to each other
2: um i think there's definitely a relation you know i mean environment's a good good kind of exemplar because when I was growing up and went to a Sunday school, Jewish Sunday school, I learned about kind of how we respect the environment, how we treat it and everything. And I think that that's helped or formed my opinion about how I think about climate change. I worked for the RSPB for a time, um, so it's informed my job choices as well. But also kind of my politics, I, you know, I believe that we should be taking action to address climate change because I think we have a responsibility to the earth um, and so, yeah, there is there is an interrelation there for sure.
1: So let's bring it on to stuff that's been happening in the news uh, this week and last week. Again, there's always a big sigh when we get onto that bit. But we always have to. Um, Steph, could you start us out um, just by kind of getting us up to date with the lay of the land of where we left things last week? Because there was a lot of different controversies last week around anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, where do we sit today?
3: Well, you're now testing me on all my knowledge of all of the different <laughs> parts of this. And it really was quite the week. I mean... The biggest kind of focal point of it was that the EHRC, so the Equality and Human Rights Commission, uh, launched its formal investigation into the Labour Party. So they had done a kind of preliminary investigation to start with to see whether or not there was enough evidence and it met the threshold whether or not to warrant a full investigation. Now, for anyone who's not sure, this was a body that was set up by the Labour Party um, during the last government. But also the threshold that you have to hit to get the evidence for those investigations is exceptionally high. This is not kind of low-level cases or one or two examples of this in terms of that. And it's looking into whether or not the Labour Party is institutional in the way that it handles anti-Semitism and, and racism against Jewish people. So that was kind of uh kind of announced last week. Um, there was obviously a big kind of rigmarole about that. And i mean it was it is the most utterly shameful thing that and I, there is no other way to describe it other than kind of people meeting it with both rage uh, kind of fury and also deep sadness in terms of of that investigation the only other party that has ever had this done to them is the British National Party. And we saw lots of different members of the NEC or, or senior leaders within the Labour Party coming out saying, no, this is totally different. It's not the same. We're going to be fine. We're not even going to be, you know, we're going to be completely recused of everything that we've done. I think basically everybody knows that that is not true. Um, and as I say, because the evidence to hit some of this stuff is so high. But we had that. I'm trying to think of the other scandals of which we had last week. Pete so Pete Oh, Pete. Oh, my favourite little man, Pete Wilsman. So, yet again, Pete Wilsman has been exposed for the anti-C that he is for those of you that don't remember, uh, Pete Wilsman is a man who sits on Labour's National Executive Committee. So that is the kind of ruling body of uh, the Labour Party in the organisation and has people elected from the membership that sit on there, of which Pete Wilsman is a part of. It's got the trade unions, it's got the leadership of it, the PLP, there's all kind of the councils, there's all kind of different members parts that, that kind of sit together on that. And a recording was released of Uh, Pete Wilsman, who is, as I say, one of those um, kind of was originally momentum backed um, members of the NEC, uh, talking about how the anti-Semitism scandal in the Labour Party is all a smear. It's all funded by Israel. I mean, as Daniel said, like the most classic tropes you could possibly find of anti-Semitism and uh, the Labour Party only decided to suspend him. Um, so, you know, if you if you vote tactically for the Lib Dems, <laughs> boom, you're out. Three seconds gone flat. Doesn't even matter if it's a bank holiday weekend, they are on it. If you are uh, deeply racist towards Jewish people in the Labour Party, uh, you get a suspension. He's not even been formally removed from the NEC, so he's not allowed to attend the NEC um, whilst he's suspended, but he is still a member of the highest governing body of our, of our party. Um, so we had that. We then had Peterborough over the weekend. So Lisa Forbes, who was the candidate in Peterborough, um, there were uh, posts that came out uh, from a journalist of kind of posts that she'd like about Theresa May and how she was a Zionist and how she was in the pay of Israel. Um, And Lisa since released a statement saying she very much apologised for that. But it has been another one of those weeks where it is just kind of scandal after scandal after scandal that just shows how deeply embedded this is into all of that.
1: Danny, I want to get your perspective um, on this specifically as well, because I will have lots of conversations with friends who don't follow politics that much, who have never said or showed any inclination towards antisemitism in their lives. I know, care deeply about the Jewish community and whether how the Jewish community feels. But when they ask me about the antisemitism crisis in labor, they kind of do it with this kind of disbelieving, well, like, you know, is it that bad? Is it factionalism? Like, What's really going on? Why do you think kind of well-meaning, non-racist people are actually having a hard time of understanding the anti-Semitism crisis in Labour? What what is that community? Is is that willful ignorance, or is this just actually a really messy, complicated thing to communicate? I mean, I mean, I don't think it
2: it's that messy or complicated. That's not to say people don't have difficulty understanding some of it, but I think where you have the overlap with kind of politics, people think or suspect there's some kind of game playing going on and especially when you have a failure of political leadership in terms of the discourse around this to be unrelenting to be absolutely bold and say you know what this is a problem this is unacceptable this is our red line then you allow for that kind of discourse to breed and that's my major problem with with all of this take aside you know the the rules or the the disciplinary processes or anything else, what we've allowed to happen is a slight chipping away at the McPherson approach to dealing with with race hatred. So where people say, I believe I've been a victim, you turn around and you say, okay, we're going to look after you and we're going to investigate this properly. Actually, now you find that people turn around and go, come on, where's your proof? And that has changed the way that we understand and that we deal with race hatred in our country with hate crime. That is, that's a real problem, I think, for us kind of as a society, let alone for the Labour Party.
1: And let's, we're talking about clarity and making this clear. So let's just kind of do a bit of myth busting for listeners who might not know about as much about this as they'd like. Can we roll through some of the, and we heard a lot of them, unfortunately, last week, but some of the kind of more common anti-Semitic myths and tropes that you hear in, you know, closer to the normal discourse, you know, there's lots of things that people might know on the fringe, but those, what are those common anti-Semitic myths that kind of find their way into regular discourse?
2: Um, so, well, I mean, around this, the things that we've been saying, you know, this is all being concocted by the Israeli embassy, say to attack Jeremy Corbyn. Well, you know, I have problems with, or I could list off councillors, you know, who've said outrageous things or put outrageous posts on Facebook about, about hook Jews was one of them, you know, a while back. Classic anti-Semitism, um, and this is not being made up to attack Jeremy Corbyn. The proof is out there. It's not even hard to show people. You know, you can go on a far-right website in the Kayla Bibby case. You can find the post that she had shared, and that's, it's on a far-right website. It's an anti-Semitic post, and there's proof. Right there's proof that someone went out allegedly, actually wrote to this website to try and get the permission to use an image of a face-hugging alien on the Statue of Liberty. to to post on their own social media, hold on, well, this isn't being concocted to hurt Jeremy Corbyn. There's anti-Semitism out there and it's not in individuals or pockets, right? This has kind of become mainstreamed and you can search Twitter to find it. You can look at the list of CLP meetings or local branch meetings where there have been discussions about this. You can look at the kind of the tropes that have been used, Pete Wilsman on the on the NEC you just discussed, the things that Claudia Webb has said supporting him, um, you know, up and down the party. You can see this stuff. So it's, that, that is a common trope that it's all made up or weaponized to attack. And as I say, that plays back into the McPherson definition. There's also the suggestion that Israel funds this, funds all of this. Well, hold on, just to what actually... To what end are they? Are they? Are they funding this? But, but again, that takes away from the Jewish people who are complaining against it. this. Minimises their experiences of anti-Semitism, and it takes away from the real anti-Semitism there is. Um. So, I so those I, are just a couple. I
3: was going to say, I think the thing that kind of I say shocked me, but it didn't. Nothing. Sadly, on when it comes to this, nothing really shocks me anymore in terms of the party. But it was quite interesting to see. You had seen kind of lots of. Kind of different groupings within the labor Party particularly over the kind of you know summer and particularly over the kind of like winter period after after that of going we know there's a problem we have often been uh, quite ignorant to this we have often stayed quite quiet on this and by that I'm talking about lots of the kind of big groups on more of the left of the party so kind of momentum and organizations like that they released a massive uh, video last year that everyone was sharing and praising on anti-semitic tropes. But cut to last week when it is then yet again the man who stood on their slate for the NEC, who they removed despite the fact that they knew already that he had done this because the people who were selecting that slate sat in the NEC with him when he originally did his first anti-Semitism scandal last year, where he said all Jews love Trump um, and continued along those kinds of tropes in terms of that. You then see a situation where all of these people who have put out these videos and said that this is really bad, yet again, when it is their friend that this has happened to, roll back on this very quickly. So they're like, oh, well, it's not an anti-Semitic trope to say that all Jews are now getting rich and therefore they're not going to vote for the Labour Party. It's like, well, Ken Livingston did that some time ago and it didn't go very well for him either. And you see all of this kind of stuff. And it's the thing that I find so insidious about this is that utter mixing of the kind of day to day, kind of factional, nasty politics of this, mixing with people who proclaim that they are to their core anti-racist, but refuse to call out their friends on it, and that for me was quite quite horrific to see last week, and to see so many so many of those people then attacking Jewish members online for trying to call this out.
2: Sorry, I, I think I kind of I I probably should have gone further in, in simplifying some of this, which is to say anti-Semitism attacks Jews, not just as lowly and inhumane and insufficient and all the rest of it, but as all-powerful and as kind of in control of things. And that harks back to Jews as the killers of of Christ, as kind of supernatural in terms of their power. It chimes with Hitler's view on the world. It's in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, this kind of Napoleonic Russian hoax document. So this all feeds that current narrative about Jews is all powerful. And irrespective of, if you're saying the Israeli embassy is concocting all of this to ensure a particular political outcome, swap the word in for Jews. You've got the same conspiracy theory, the same stuff, and people will defend it. Um, and, and frankly, that's, that's not good enough and people should be calling it out. And so
1: this intersects, like you said, there's a, there's a huge historical element of this But I'm also interested just to get your take on the politics because anti-Semitism on the left, there is the kind of conspiracy theorizing about power and money and media. There's also a foreign policy element to it, which is always the elephant in the room, right, isn't it? It's the Israel, the Palestine, what does it mean to advocate for a two-state solution? Who are you standing up for? And these debates very quickly can slide. This debate is tangled up with the Israel-Palestine debate. Should it be to what extent should it be separated, I guess is my question. Is it, will it always be tangled up? Should it be tangled up? And can it be separated? So we've taken the approach that we don't do Israel. Our organisation
2: mm-hmm. doesn't do Israel. We don't advocate for policy on Israel. We engage with Israel like we would any other country, right? So we've taken a trip out to Israel to go and look at social media issues and anti-racism work in Israel, full stop. Didn't didn't meet, so to the best of my knowledge, didn't meet government officials, met kind of, you know, a few MPs and what have you we would take a view that we engage like any other country. I don't see why that isn't the general approach. People can criticise it. Criticise Israel. Go and criticise, you know, in the same way that you criticise Yemen or Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or whoever, right? That's not a problem to me. And equally, I don't see why anti-Semitism should have any overlap. Now, it gets confusing because of this word Zionist in the middle. Um, You've had Marlon Solomon on your show before, who runs this one-man show about conspiracy theories, who does a good kind of simple explainer about Zionism. Basically, Zionism is is a Jewish kind of movement for or right to self-determination. That's pretty much it. It doesn't dictate the kind of the limits of a state or the negotiations around borders or anything else. And so what's the overlap? For To me, the two are separate. They should be kept separate. And whilst people may try and bring in Israel into anti-Semitism, I don't think it needs to be there.
1: And yet, I think you made this point on Twitter when you look at the way the United Nations passes, I believe it's the United Nations, passes human rights resolutions against specific countries. I believe the point you're making that Israel quite often comes out on top and that might be disproportionate to you know, what's going on in other countries as well. Yeah, I mean, I,
2: I I think there probably is certainly a, a greater focus on Israel now. That's a fair enough legitimate debating point. People would say, well, there should be a greater focus on Israel because they believe you know Israel's policies are having a disproportionate effect. I think that's fair enough to have a debate about. That's nothing to do with anti-Semitism, really. Um, now, some people may argue that it is, and okay, perhaps there's a bit of a debate there, but actually, I think that's a fair that's
1: a fair enough discussion point. I don't think that's anti-Semitic per se. Cool. We're going to just go for a quick break and then we're going to get into some more of the weeds of what's going on in the Labour Party.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
1: Steph, if you could take us through um, the the EHRC investigation, the Equality and Human Rights Commission investigation. I believe what they're looking at is whether there has been institutional mistreatment of Jewish members in the Labour Party. I mean, could you help give us a sense of what institutional looks like, what it means? You know, Because obviously anti-Semitism in one comment can be quite clear to see. What does that look like when it starts to become institutional?
3: Okay, so I can probably give a bit of it. I'm sure Danny will be able to jump in and give a, a lot more detail on some of the institutional nature of it. I think the thing that's really important to remember about this is it is not an investigation of do you have some anti Semitic members, right? There are anti-Semitic people in every single walk of life, in every single bit, in the same way that there are, you know, homophobes that sit in our parliamentary Labour Party and everything else that goes in between, you know, like it is not, do these people exist or some does some of this stuff happen, right? It's also about what is the response of the party in terms of how it tackles this and how it deals with these issues. Because in as we say, in one form or another, these kinds of uh, offences will happen but it is what they do in order to tackle it. Now, the thing that is quite insidious currently in terms of the Labour Party and how it works is the kind of monopoly that there is of kind of certain factions and and the involvement of that and the over-politicisation then of these roles and how that works and the kind of protection of each other. And I think that's what you've seen come out hugely in the newspapers over the last couple of years of lots of different reports um, that have come out is that kind of protection of each other and that breaking the rules and bending the rules in order to protect your political allies. So we've already seen kind of Claudia Webb come out and we've spoken about her, we've kind of mentioned her earlier in the podcast. For those that don't know, is also a member of the National Executive Committee. She was also elected as one of the members reps on the same kind of election slate. And she is also the Uh, sits as the kind of head of disputes. So she's the kind of elected representative that, that heads up the disputes. Well, she's already written and very publicly said that she wants to support P. Wilsman. So there's not an ounce of independence in any of this stuff. It is utterly wrapped up in all of the factionalism and the kind of politicking of how that works. And it's, again, that reason why people go, oh, is this really true? Is this how it works? I mean, I was giving a talk a couple of months ago at a university and a very, very well respected politics lecturer came up to me and was like, is it really happening though? Like, where's the proof? I was like, pick up a newspaper. Like you will see streams and streams of this. But as we say, like people just don't really want to, it's quite a scary thing for people to want to engage with. But that's where we are with that kind of investigation. I mean, Danny, I'm sure you can probably tell us a little bit more about that kind of the institutional way that that works.
2: Yeah. I mean, We've got briefing on our website for what it's worth. We have on each of the political parties, we're apolitical. Um, But, you know, if you look at the disciplinary process, there's been complaints about the, well, the question of whether anyone knows the scale of what's out there, the numbers, there's been lots of debates at the PLP and elsewhere about the numbers, about the transparency of it, about the effectiveness of it, about possible interference in it. So you've got that Mm. part.
3: And they've not even released the report that they kind of the labour party initially gave back to the ahrc yeah have they, they've they not even seen the nec haven't even seen that report that's, that's just how
2: utterly transparent right.
3: this process is
2: so so that's one part of it you've then got the various kind of different organs of the labour party and questions that are raised about you know the either the behavior of individuals or the decisions that they've taken you know the nec um you've got the the disputes panel uh the national constitutional committee you've got uh potential kind of victimization of Jewish candidates or Jewish individuals within Labour at local level, at branch level. Um, You've then got candidates who've stood for the party, whether they've been selected, what's happened when they have been, the consistency of how that's been addressed. So I expect, I I don't know the specifics of the EHRC's particular investigation, but taking all of that into account as a whole, Will determine whether there's been unlawful discrimination against people because they're Jewish.
1: And I guess another thing that this has brought to light is the way the complaints procedure works. And Labour Party, Steph's always already looking crestfallen. Um, that was brought to light this weekend um, with David Prescott and some complaints that were made about him. Steph, could you give us a sense of, first of all, what that was and how that really? exposes. Really? You're, you're really going so to I, make me
3: try and explain this story? I'm
1: making you do it. <laughs> okay. Well, look, listeners can go and find out the details of the story. I but can to, give a, I can give go a brief. go over the edges because it is quite.
3: So I'm not going to give a detailed account of the story and what happened, but basically uh, David Prescott is one of Jeremy Corbyn's closest advisors, sits within the leader's office. And the story broke uh, over the weekend that a uh, member of a Labour member of Parliament, a young woman, relatively young woman, had gone to Jeremy Corbyn and Carrie Murphy. Carrie Murphy is uh, Jeremy Corbyn's kind of chief of staff. She's his like absolute number two in that sense in terms of how that works. Can't actually quite believe I just used that phrase. He, (laughs) Uh (laughs) moving on, Um, and very seriously, she went to them and said that He had behaved very inappropriately towards her when she had turned down his advances. Um, He had uh, behaved very inappropriately is the words I'm going to go with. And um, there was also then reports that had come through that he'd also um, behaved very inappropriately towards um, members of Labour students, young women who were members of Labour students um, when they turned down his sexual advances as well. Now, there's a couple of things that I think sit around this. One, this is actually for lots of people in and of evol- kind of very, very involved around the Labour Party, not a new story, right? So number one, how has it taken so long for this one to become something that people are actually talking about very seriously and to someone who could then hold that job within that office whilst this is something that everybody is so so knowledgeable about. And the second part of that is that then basically the uh, they had then reported it to the Labour Party uh, kind of staff in head office. They had wanted to remove him, suspend him from the party and the um, the leader's office intervened. So Carrie Murphy uh, apparently intervened stop that from happening and said it didn't warrant a suspension because no formal complaint had been made. I think when you sit down with the leader of the Labour Party and have a meeting, that is a pretty formal process um, in terms of that. And it really shines a light again on um, not only if we had the kind of anti-Semitism scandal, but the kind of wider kind of Me Too movement that took over um, over the last few years, and specifically, there was one kind of Labour too about how the party um, was fundamentally failing women um, in terms of sexual harassment and the complaints process, and their w- women's ability to operate within the party and within a political atmosphere without that kind of risk of sexual harassment and the kind of implications that that can have. And it really shows, and, and you know, and it's all interlinked in that in that sense because. It is, again, a fundamentally flawed process when it comes to our complaints and how this is dealt with. It is so interchanged with the kind of politicking of the Labour Party and how that works, that there has to now be, we've been calling on it for a very long time um, and there's been real opposition against it. Um, But we are yet again calling for there to be a fully independent complaints procedure. And actually all of the equalities groups of the party believe the same thing. Labour Women's Network have been very, very clear on why it needs to be independent in terms of sexual harassment. LGBT Labour has been exactly the same in terms of the kind of horrendous kind of transphobia and homophobia that we've been seeing particularly kind of of recent um, and also obviously the Jewish Labour movement in terms of the kind of anti-Semitism processes and like we have to be able to, to detangle some of this and allow people to have faith in the complaints procedure, feel like they can put those complaints in and have it to be listened to because We cannot proclaim to be the party of equality. We cannot proclaim to be the party of people who have radically transformed so many people's lives in the way that we did in government in the same way we do now when we can't even keep our own house in order.
1: Sorry, and, and,
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, there's, there's also this, I think there's a wider point here about about the status of political parties and the way in which their disciplinary processes operate. We, you know uh, during elections, the Advertising Standards Agency won't regulate political party adverts because they don't want to get drawn in, essentially, to political debate. Um, so who does? You know, we've raised this with the Cabinet Office. They're like, not one for us, it's for the political parties. So you have to go to some kind of informal agreement that everyone's going to behave. We've had that with candidates in the past. We did a bigger. Uh, Inquiry into electoral conduct. I say we, the All Party Group, did into electoral conduct. Recommended that the parties come to an informal agreement. Come, you know, I mean, we're now seven, eight years down the line, and the Committee on Standards has had to recommend that the parties come to a formal agreement because things got Mm. even worse. So there is. Something needs to be done about how political parties are overseen in terms of their disciplinary, even if it's just a check every so often by an independent person or body. You know, I don't want to see kind of regulation of everything. I'm not massively pro regulation, but I just think some appropriate checks and balances would be good.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, these things can often seem kind of, there's such a sheer volume of it that it can seem quite chaotic just trying to keep track of. There's like all these different satellite scandals that surround these. I mean, specifically the Labour Party. But I think when you burrow down to it, it kind of gets to one really simple truth, which is that we're failing to protect our members currently. Just uh, if both of you could come back on this and both of you have touched on it already, but what would it look like if we were dealing with this well? Because I think that's the hard thing is when you get drawn into the politics like you say it becomes narrative and counter-narrative of we are dealing with it and we aren't dealing with it and actually I think what would really help is to know what it would look like in kind of a more objective sense of a party that's actually dealing with this and taking it seriously.
3: Yeah I mean well for for me I think the most important thing is that independent nature of this process, because I think, you know, this isn't, in terms of just the independence of the process, this isn't just a problem that has been the last few years. We looked back and lots of the kind of issues that came out over kind of Labour 2 and the Me Too movement, they were way before even Jeremy started as leader or, or kind of different people came in. There is not, there is kind of a plague on everybody's house for me in terms of how this has been dealt with, particularly when you look at things like sexual harassment for a very, very long time. And that is why I think it is so vital that there is an independent process. I think it has, to be honest, really exacerbated itself over the last kind of few years. And I think particularly when we look at the kind of anti-Semitism scandal and and how that has been dealt with, I think that utterly personifies the need for an independence, but also, as we say, with this kind of sexual harassment scandals that come up. So for me, it would be a fully independent process um, where victims felt like they could come forwards that that wouldn't, you know, you're not getting sat down and told this is going to damage you quite substantially. If you do this, you need to move away from these things. And, you know, there have been some unbelievably brave people of all various kind of issues that have stood up and said, this process is not good enough. And it drags on for years. It's all about the kind of makeup of the different bodies and how that kind of filters it through. But all of that is highly political. It's all very factional in terms of who gets to put their people on. Um, you know, it's all about like who can we kick out of the party that's not one of ours or who's going to vote for our people. Um, so for me now, I think it has got it has got so bad and the trust is so minimal from all sides. There has to be a, a real independent process that goes into this. It can't have, no matter who it is, the kind of factionalism and the inner kind of politicking of the Labour Party overseeing those processes. I think that would be such a positive step for the party to be able to do. And to be fair, there are lots of people who have really entered these discussions from the party in really good faith. Jenny Formby, who's obviously the current general secretary, um, I don't think has gone anywhere near far enough, but has, I think, entered into really good faith in terms of how they can, particularly around sexual harassment, ro- kind of make these processes more robust. But I personally think anything short of fully independent processes now is just not going to not going to work
2: i yeah i mean i I tend to agree about independence in the process but i think as part of the discourse i have to change the narrative around this so it's the first stop is stop saying it's a smear stop saying this is made up stop treating people like they don't experience this anti-semitism they're not worried about it or concerned about it or that it hurts them they're upset you know, that, that's where we start, is changing the the contextual framework in which this is happening. And then we go on to the education piece, which if there were trust between the Labour Party and Jewish communal bodies, you might see, you know, working with the, the JLM or the CST or, you know, ourselves or whoever, um, to produce something that could be rolled out with trainers that were properly trained to deliver education, um, but part of it, you know it would be it would be woven through the political education of the party. It would be at party conferences, it would be when you join, it would be in for labor students or it would be for young labor or whoever. It would just be part of what you do. and, and that's not exclusive to anti-Semitism. It should be built in with other forms of you know discrimination training training against discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's important. Um, and then and then the independent um, disciplinary process and i think as i say it would be about trust you know that, what, that when the labor party put out the tweet kind of wishing jews a good passover and it had bread on it and you know jews don't eat bread on passover that struck me as it kind of it it, it symbolized the breakdown of kind of communication and trust and understanding it used to be that there was somebody in the labor party who used to call me up uh, in advance to get all the dates for the jewish calendar for the year ahead so that they'd know about when it might be inappropriate to knock on a, a, door, a door of a jewish household that's kind of trust and understanding. It's kind of seeking to understand, to learn a bit more. Mm-hmm. That kind of symbolized a really good, positive relationship to me. And I just think we're miles away from that. So, uh, you know, look into what it would look like. It would be that phone call to your friend to find out what can we do? How can this happen? And all of the formal exchanges of letters that have happened in the press between the official Jewish communal bodies and the, and the leader's office, that doesn't evidence that there's any kind of trust in the process or in the relationship. And so I think moving forwards, that's what I'd like to see is people people understanding one another and working together.
1: I think the interesting thing about that point is a lot of these things are institutional and changes need to be made from the top. But the interesting thing about what you say is that there's also a bottom up element for it. We all have a role to play in changing that culture. And we like to give people who listen to the show things to do and one of those things they can do if they haven't already, you mentioned JLM, you can go and join and support the Jewish labor movement as affiliated member, whether you're Jewish or not. and also Danny if people are more interested in the work that you're doing where can they go and find that
2: yeah we're on antisemitism.org.uk that's a great domain it's good (laughs) isn't it yeah we're quite pleased with that Um, we've got a resources page with various you know a beginner's guide to what antisemitism is how to define it what it isn't Um, we've got a special report on misogyny and antisemitism because there's a a specific and significant overlap between abuse of of women uh, Jewish women um, kind of where one punches up against. Against the other um, and there's something we're specifically concerned about and it talks to kind of you know what can people do beyond looking on our website call this stuff out you see it on twitter you see a jewish woman being abused or any jew being abused call it out you see it at your local party branch in some discussion don't let people get away with it because the more people chip away the, the lower the bar is next time for, for anti semitism Anti-Semites are emboldened by anti-Semitism. So don't let them be.
1: Well, um, Danny, thanks so much for coming on. And as you said, before we started recording, I hope next time you can come on we can talk about wrestling or, yeah. <laughs> or something yeah, else. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for the next
2: Progress <laughs> Wrestling chat. <laughs> thanks, That's Danny.
1: And as always, thank you, Steph.
3: been listening to the progressive Britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer caroline crampton